0: You better be good. <laughs> who's up for a game? Yes, yes all right. Um, Colleen, I'll need two of my books. Mirror, mirror. Please, darling. Okay, first hand up that I see. No, you have to end with an answer. <laughs> but I love, I like what you're doing. Go and get three books. <laughs> Her hand was up first. Floral, gorgeous fairy. Yeah. Over here, Colleen. I love a woman who's not afraid to go, yeah, baby. The Word of God says you have not because you ask not, and you ask, so the Lord's giving. (laughs) Up the back, she was first, yeah. No, you keep being assertive, girl. Don't anyone else try that. I'm done now. Okay. All right, you ready? Who am I? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I'm not giving you a book. I'm going to give you a smack. Come here. No, just kidding. If I had chocolate, it's all (laughs) yours. gonna lay hands on you yeah okay who am I don't answer that my aged father was conscripted for battle so I fought in his place I fought as a warrior for 12 years and was awarded great merit my bravery was recorded in a famous poem I lived in ancient China yes close so close yes you're wrong, Disney princess. I know, that's all right. I, I, now I feel horrible not giving you something. Is there more ice cream or something? <laughs> there, there's some brownies in the kitchen. Trust me, I was into them. Yeah, yeah, there we are. Gorgeous lady, yes. Gorgeous, fabulous, amazing out there in the community person. All right, second chance. Mary, I believe in you for this one, okay? This is only for people. No, no, wait for it. You ready? I don't ready? even know what that's all about. There's <laughs> <It's laughs> lots of like that, yeah. All right, this one's for you. I believe in you for this one, Mary. All right, anyone else try and get it? I'll take... Mary's going to take you down. <laughs> Who am I? Don't answer that. I was born in New Zealand, never mind. But God's smart, New Zealand. <laughs> I love going to New Zealand because they go, bless you. <laughs> and I share the wisdom of the Lord there. I, I could keep going in the New Zealand thing. Sorry, Kiwi sisters. But then I saw the light and was raised in Australia. I was a journalist... I married and moved to France. During World War II, I joined the French Resistance and smuggled men out of France. I then joined a special British intelligence group and fought Nazis once with my bare hands. After the war, I was awarded many medals for my bravery. My Gestapo nickname was the White Mouse. Yes, yes. But you've won a book. Who got it? it? Did Mary say it? it. Did you say it, Mary? (laughs) (laughs) Are you causing her to sin? Are you causing it? Here we go. We'll get Mary. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Well, she bought a book. I'll give it to Mary for goodness sake. I love Mary. Well done. See, that wasn't one for the young ones, was it? It was something for the intelligent, well-educated ones. That one. Well done. She's awesome, Nancy Wake, wasn't she? Yes. I love these two women because they encapsulate our theme today. They were beautiful and they were brave. And what I love about these women is they weren't just brave once, they were brave over and over for years. They lived brave. Bravery was their lifestyle. It wasn't a moment, it was their lifestyle. And I believe God wants us to have a brave lifestyle. Bold, defying fear, squashing insecurity, relentlessly chasing pursuit of justice. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Proverbs 28.1. The wicked run away when no one is chasing them. That's weird. But the boldly are as bold, the godly, pardon me, are as bold as lions. The godly are as bold as lions. Bravery allows you to pursue the life God has planned for you. Bravery allows you to overcome obstacles that hold you back from living this great, big, adventurous God life. Bravery allows you to put the core values of the kingdom into action. Bravery allows you to elevate others and love them. Bravery allows you to live as God purposed you to be. It's supposed to be a lifestyle, not a singular event. So how do we become that woman? How do we become a woman who lives brave? A lifestyle of bravery that's pleasing to God. Now, to get some wisdom on this, I'm going to pull apart Psalm 18. So, if you've got your Bibles, open up at Psalm 18 because I'm going to constantly go back there. Psalm 18 was a psalm written by David, and David is a person who embodies the lifestyle of bravery. He wrote this psalm in a time of danger and great fear for him. He wrote it in response to the events of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel we read that David and King Saul have become very close. But David has become so successful in his service of the king that he becomes a threat to King Saul. And King Saul can see that it's it's a matter of time before David replaces him. So his solution is to kill David. So David has to take off to the wilderness. Aha, the wilderness. And it's why Saul is hunting him that he wrote this psalm. This psalm journals how he found bravery in the midst of fear. And he gives us a picture of bravery in action. Look in verse 34. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw the bronze bow. Now, doesn't this give you an amazing picture of a warrior woman? You can see her standing, side on. She's lifting up her bow and arrow. Imagine that I've got a robe flowing behind me in the breeze. She takes aim. Zing pow. She fires. That's what we're going to do today. I'm going to get you weaponed up. I'm going to get you weaponed up so you are ready to fight. In this session, I'm going to teach you the stance, the POW zing. I'm going to send you out with a quiver full of arrows and equip you with the habits of a woman who lives the lifestyle of bravery. By working our way through Psalm 18, I'm going to pull out some behaviours of David, like arrow after arrow. And also, because you've been fed and you're sitting there and you want to fall asleep, I'm going to shoot you if you start closing your eyes, okay? (laughs) Got the fear of God? Excellent. All right, are you ready for the first arrow? Are you ready? Everyone's awake still. All right, the first one. Surround yourself with God. Yeah, I'm coming after you. You know it. Surround yourself with God. Psalm 18, 1 and 2. It says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength, my fortress, my rock, my saviour. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. David can live brave because he's confident he is in a position of strength. A position where he is surrounded by God. Even when he is surrounded ...by his enemies. We can see this in David's life. He had to live it out. In 1 Samuel 23... ...David was being pursued by Saul. And Saul is getting close. So David hides himself in a rock. And this rock becomes surrounded by Saul and his men. And it looks like he's just about to be killed. When Saul gets word... That the Philistines were raiding Israel. So he has to give up his hobby of killing David and go home and do his job. (laughs) David was saved. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 28, David says, This is going to be called the rock of escape. And that's when he wrote Psalm 18. And you see this experience with the rock woven into the psalm when he, when he says, The Lord is his rock. You stand on a rock. The Lord is his fortress. You stand in a fortress. The Lord is his savior. You stand before a savior. The Lord is his shield. You stand behind a shield. God is under, around, before. Behind David, he has positioned himself in God. Some of us profess to be a Christian, but we position ourselves as a practical atheist. Say you're faced with a scary situation, say your child has developed a behavioural disorder. You meet with the teacher, you get in contact with all the experts, you meet with doctors. You join an online support group. These are all good things. But you know what? Even an atheist can do that. Look, surrounding yourself with wisdom is good. But surrounding yourself in God, that is the most powerful position to be in. We need to daily position ourselves on the promises of God. Position ourselves in the mindset of God. Position ourselves in worship before God. Position our spirits behind God, ready to follow him. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The brave need to surround themselves with God. All right, you ready for the next arrow? She caught me. (laughs) You ready for the next one? The brave are willing to be honest and vulnerable. Honest and vulnerable. In Psalm 18, here's the great king, the great warrior, David. This David who can take out giants with a single slingshot. Amazing David. In this psalm, he exposes his helpless and weak state. In verse 4, David admits, the ropes of death are entangling me. Floods of destruction sweep over me. The grave has wrapped its ropes around me. Death has laid me in its path. And in verse 17, he admits that his enemies are just too strong for him. You ever felt like that? They're too strong, God. He's not feeling brave. In this psalm, you can hear his distress. You can hear his vulnerability. You can hear his weakness. He's going under and he's failing. He's failing. But a brave person is not afraid to say, I am failing. That can take great courage. I'm dying here. I'm not good at this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not enough on my own. I need God. I need help. They are sometimes the bravest words you can ever say. The brave see their failings as an expression of their humanity and our victories as an expression of God's generosity. Yet some of us hold on to this twisted idea that bravery means being a person who can cope on their own. I don't need help. I'm strong enough to carry this burden. I don't depend on anyone. I don't want to upset anyone. All that classic, I don't want to worry you. You know what that is? Pride. Or repression. Some 8, Psalm, pardon me, but that's all, folks. Proverbs 11, verses 2 3 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Honesty guides good people. Is that my arrows doing that? I don't know. Being a warrior today is tough. (laughs) Failure and weakness doesn't diminish us. It's hiding failure that disempowers us. It makes us look aloof, makes us look fake. And you will lose your ability to influence and empower people around you. I felt this at playgroup. When I was a new mum, I'd be there and some new yummy mummy would waltz in, looking fabulous. Say my baby slept 12 hours again last night. And look, they've got two new teeth. They just popped up. I didn't even notice. (laughs) And I stood there exhausted and frustrated, listening to perfect mum sing the praises of her perfect baby. And all I could think was, what am I doing wrong? I'm failing. But then another brave mum turns up at playgroup and says, get me coffee and take this monster camouflaged in a bond suit from me. <laughs> and the lovely mums take her baby and get that magic in a cup, otherwise known as coffee. Her honesty and her vulnerability means I can breathe easier. I was comforted knowing I wasn't alone in this journey called motherhood. When we expose our failures, we disarm ourselves as adversaries. If you're going to play the upmanship perfect lady game, you make an enemy out of people. They're instantly in a power play with you. Don't play the game. Say, I lose you win. we're done. Can we move on to honesty now? And that inspires courage in others. I am so grateful for the honesty and vulnerability of the Psalms and ecclesiastics. I don't feel like a failure for having doubts about God for being angry at God, for feeling scared. These books in the Bible show me vulnerability doesn't disqualify me from bravery. David demonstrates in Psalm 18 that bravery is not the lack of fear, but the ability to move forward in spite of fear. All right, you ready for the next one? If you're going to be brave, you need this arrow. You need to believe the unbelievable. After David calls out to God for help, in verses 4 and 6, the Lord responds with a supernatural display of power. You can read about it in verse 7. It says, The earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Verse 10, Mounted on mighty, angelic beings, he flew soaring on the wings of the wind. Verse 14, he shot his arrows, yee-hee, and scattered his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flashed, and they were confused. How cool is that? God turned up big and supernatural. And yet, if you cross-reference this with the story in 1 Samuel, there is absolutely no record of a supernatural show of thunder and lightning. There's no angels and earthquakes. And yet, this is how David recounts what God did. I believe this is because David couldn't just see with his natural eyes. He got his Hagar on. He could see spiritually, he could see what God was doing, and that made him brave. He could see a supernatural God in a supernatural world, he could see the spectacular in the normal, he could see a possible victory in impossible circumstances. See, the brave see the impossible and how it can be possible. Nelson Mandela could see a South Africa without apartheid. Malalia could see a Pakistan where every girl could go to school. Neil Armstrong could see a man, the moon, with a man walking on it. Brave people see the impossible. David was brave because he could see beyond his circumstances and he could see a God with the power and the authority over the universe. David saw big obstacles, but he saw an even bigger, more awesome, more powerful God, and that made him brave. All right, you ready for the next one? Got your notes ready? Ready? The brave will do what's right, even when it's unpopular. Verse 17, David says, He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me. David had enemies. He had people who didn't like him. They didn't like what he did. They didn't like what he stood for. They didn't like who he was. And they were powerful enemies too. His enemies had palaces. Saul had a lot of money. Saul had a whole army. Whereas David's army was a bunch of leftovers living on the run. 1 Samuel 22. In verse 2, it tells us that David and his brothers ran to the hills to hide from Saul. And they were joined with about 400 men who were in trouble. They were in debt or discontented. They were a band of merry losers. They were not popular. They were rejects. But they were rejects with a cause. And in contrast is King Saul. It was his desire to be popular rather than brave that ruined him. God removed Saul's kingship after he failed to fully destroy destroy the Amalekites. And when the prophet Samuel confronts Saul about his disobedience, in 1 Samuel 15, this is a great verse, 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, Saul explains to Samuel, he says, I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, I disobeyed because I was afraid of the people. And so I did what they demanded. He was afraid of what people would think. It was in this crucial moment when Saul chose popularity over obedience. He chose people pleasing over obedience. He chose the status quo over bravery and he lost everything. Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord is safety. David understood that bravery doesn't equal popularity. David didn't fear people's disapproval. Bravery does not equal keeping the status quo. Bravery does not equal keeping everyone happy. Bravery means doing what is right, even when it causes tension and conflict. Bravery means not being intimidated by the opinions of others, but holding fast to the directions of God. Are you willing to upset people for God? Because, you know, being a Christian doesn't mean we get to be nice sometimes. You're in the wrong club. This isn't about niceness. This is about righteousness. All right, next arrow. The next one you need to have courage is integrity. That was close, wasn't it? Integrity. Integrity is the quality of being honest, of having strong moral principles that you refuse to change principles that are maintained with faithful consistency a person of integrity has honor and their values are transparent proverbs two seven it says he is a shield to those who walk with integrity he's a shield proverbs 10 twenty nine the way of the lord is a stronghold to those with integrity David demonstrated this in one some Samuel 24. Again, Saul's at his favourite hobby. He's hunting David. And he's off in the wilderness. But do you know what? Even kings need to pee. So he went to relieve himself in a cave. In a cave where David and his men happen to be hiding. So David literally catches Saul with his pants down. And David has the opportunity to approach Saul. He creeps forward in the dark And he cut off a chunk of material from the hem of his robe. Now, what sounds a little naughty to us was devastating humiliation to King Saul. This has big cultural significance. It's a violation spiritually and physically against the dignity of a king to take anything from his robe. David has humiliated Saul. But straight away, David feels guilty. So he comes out of the cave and he apologises to Saul. Now that was big, because Saul could have just killed him then and there. But he trusts God. Proverbs 6, verses 2 to 4, tells us that if you have sinned, to swallow your pride and beg to have your name erased. And the proverb entreats us not to rest until it's made right. David demonstrates true true integrity. And you know what? It doesn't matter if your dishonor is small or big. Whether it's a chunk of material or a chunk of someone's dignity. It doesn't matter whether it was seen or unseen. Whether it's in the darkness of a cave or whether you set it in front of everyone at a dinner party. It's dishonor and the line is crossed. So David comes clean so he can make his soul clean. He repented so he could stand innocent before God. Because he knew the power of integrity. When he gave away his integrity, he knew he would be giving away his power. And he expresses this in Psalm 18, verse 20. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I've kept the ways of the Lord. I've not turned from my God to follow evil. I've followed all his regulations. I've never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I've kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. Integrity gives us a line in the sand. We know the values of God. That's the line in the sand. And if we cross that line, we have to act immediately to make it right. And it takes real courage to say to someone, look them right in the face, I was wrong. I hurt you and I'm sorry. Don't do the old I'm sorry if you felt hurt. That's not an apology. Cuz it's putting right back on them. I'm sorry you felt that way, that's your problem. Uh-uh. You don't get to decide whether they're hurt or not or by how much. When you apologize there's not to be any excuses or rationalizations. I was just, I felt this, but it was this. That's not an apology. That lacks integrity. You say straight out, I am sorry, I hurt you, I was wrong. Integrity means choosing actions and thoughts based on values, not personal gain. It means doing what is right, even when no one is watching. It means speaking up when everyone else is silent. Ooh, that was a zing for someone. Integrity means making sure the things you say and the things you do are in alignment. Wisdom is knowing what isn't right, integrity is doing it. Did you get that? Wisdom is knowing what is right, integrity is doing it. All right, you ready for the next one? Pursue strength. Pursue strength. That's your next arrow. Verse 29, for by you, I can run against a troop and I can scale over a wall. I can leap over a wall. David is leaping over walls in a single bound. He's like Superman. And in this verse, we sense that David is feeling invigorated. He's full of energy and he's vitality. And I'm doing the daggy mum dance. Yes. He's into it. He's trained for action. He's prepared spiritually and emotionally and physically for whatever God has called him to do. A couple of years ago, I found getting out of bed hard. I mean, it's hard anyway, right? But it was really hard. And I found when I was waking up, I was lacking energy and I felt down. I felt glum every morning. And so, do we want to change Mike? The aerial yeah. Here. yeah, I've tried it. Oh, I think it's that. I think it's the aerial. If that sits up higher too, it should help because it stays away from the Oh, thanks, Kerry. The of the. Do you want to have coffee later? Yeah, sure. you could just hang out, it'd be good. It's good. Do you like shoes? Not much. Not, I don't know whether we can be friends now, but anyway. No, I don't oh, have oh. I don't qualify for that. Oh, never mind. Alright, well that moment's over. Okay. <laughs> so I was waking up feeling down and blue and lack of energy. So I decided I would go to the doctor and I was confident she could give me the magic pill. You know the magic pill? And that would make everything right. So she did all the blood tests and there's nothing wrong. But I knew I wasn't supposed to live like that. I knew I wasn't strong physically. And because I wasn't strong physically, I wasn't able to be strong mentally and spiritually. So I asked God to fix me. Yay, I want the spiritual magic pill. And he said, sorry, no magic pill for you. I have a solution. Excellent. But you won't like it. Mm. All right, what's the solution, Lord? Pursue a healthy life. And you know what? He was so right. I didn't like it. (laughs) I wanted my cake and to eat it too. I wanted my cheese. I wanted to eat that. I wanted my wine. I wanted to drink that. I wanted it all. There's no fun, in nothing else. But 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says the body belongs to the Lord. It's for him. Many of us will give our soul to Jesus. Many of us give our heart to Jesus. We give our minds and our thoughts, and we we know we want the renewing of the mind, and we put a lot of energy into that, but we withhold our bodies. Don't you be looking around uncomfortable. Look right at me, okay? Look at me, look at me. We're good. This is my story. Yet the body and the food we put in it has a spiritual dimension. That's why we have fasting. That's why Daniel and his companions used food to set themselves apart spiritually. That's why communion is a sacred intertwining of food and the soul. The real challenge came to me when God said this, Alyssa, I guarantee you will live loved. But I cannot guarantee you will live strong. That's for you to pursue. By doing what I ask, to love me with your whole heart, mind and body. And I had to swallow the bitter pill, not the magic one, of Proverbs 15, 32. If you reject discipline, you will only harm yourself. So I developed, feel free to take it, but I developed my own Strong Woman's Guide to Daily Living. This is my list for things to do every day to take care of myself. Number one, drink lots of water. We forget, don't we? Drink lots of water until you have to pee all the time. Don't worry about it. You'll do it for a few days and it calms down. Is that right, Nurse Colleen, (laughs) Sister Colleen? Right, drink lots of water. Eat five servings of veggies and two servings of fruit every day. We forget, don't we? I like to do it the other way. You you can't do it the other way because the fruit... Oh, Mary... Gonna have to sort you out. Five veggies. Get enough iron. We should be eating meat the size of our palm. Not bigger than that, by the way. If your serving of meat or your serving of carbs is bigger than the palm of your hand, you're overeating. But you're gonna eat three times of that in veggies. We need iron, particularly as women. And if you don't eat meat, have all the veggies and the tofu and stuff eliminate sugar sugar, or avoid sugary and processed food. Do you know one of the great things about travelling to third world countries is they don't have junk food? And I've got to tell you, it's pretty illuminating for a Western white girl like me. First time I went to Thailand, I couldn't believe how healthy people looked. Not that it's too third world, it's pretty good. But do you know what? They don't have KFC or McDonald's at that time. And even if they do, who would spend $10 on that when you spent $50 on some amazing tropical fruit? We've got to avoid that. There's Proverbs 25:16 says it very eloquently, if not weirdly. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much, or it'll make you sick. Cool verse, right? But you get what he's saying. Get seven hours of sleep. New mothers are exempted. If you get seven minutes, you're a champion. Everyone else, seven hours. No, no excuses, Colleen. Get 15 minutes of direct sunlight every day. The best time is actually early in the morning and late afternoon, you know, when the sun's low. Apparently, that angle, when it enters your eyes, sets off lots of happy endorphins. Yeah? That's why the weird people who jog in the morning look happy. I don't get those people. But anyway, 20 minutes of exercise. That can be going for a walk. Look, it can, it can do, you can do lots. You go for a walk, the dog is happy, you can pray. You can sing, you can do what you can look at nature and see beautiful stuff, whatever it is. Get yourself a Nerf gun and, and tackle your husband or whatever. I don't know, come up with something creative. Balloon volleyball, always fun. 20 minutes. Here's a favourite, eight hugs a day. Four that Psychologists say you need four for survival, eight for health, 12 for healing. Every day, laugh. If that's a problem, kind of my house, it's hysterical. Give thanks. There is a strong connection between gratitude and mental health. Seek beauty every day. Music, poetry, reading beautiful books, nature, whatever it is. Who's got something beautiful they like to look at every day? Yeah, what have you got? I've got a, pond out a pond, how nice. Someone had swans, swearish. Yeah, you got your swans every day. Geeks dogs, I know they're beautiful. What kind of dog have you got? Steffi. Oh, Steffi. Therapy, therapy dog. I got a fluffy thing. Uh, this fluffy thing. She's. I well, she, yeah. She's gorgeous. She's dumb, but she's pretty, I tell her. It's okay. <laughs> Find something beautiful. Read the Bible every day. I mean, that's that's beautiful right there. Pray. Every day. Don't do it in this oh, I better pray. Just chat to God. Do this every day because you know what? There is overwhelming research that shows all these things increase our energy levels, they increase our strength, they increase mental clarity, memory, creativity. All these things contribute to fighting disease, depression anxiety, insomnia, stress and sluggishness. All these things protect our heart, our brains, our emotional state. Look, we encounter so many trials in our life. We naturally have so many enemies from, the, from Satan. He's firing at us all the time. Even our own biochemistry can be our enemies at times. So don't be your own worst enemy. Live strong. Pursue mental, physical, and spiritual health. So we, like David, can crash an army and scale a wall and finish that point. You can relax and go back to your chocolate. You good? All right. Next one. Your next arrow. Gotcha. Wow, I'm getting weaker. That was a bit pathetic, wasn't it? And ironically, listen to the next point get a weapon and use it well. <laughs> oh, I love it. Get a weapon. Will I try that again? Here, Colleen, go and stand in the middle. That's a girl. And that's why she's my friend. (laughs) Bullseye, so to speak. Oh, dear. Get a weapon. In the next section of Psalm 18, David describes how God equips him for the task of being brave. In verse 34, he says, he trains... My hands for the battle, he strengthens my arm to shoot Colleen in the butt. No, 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 (laughs) to draw a bronze bow. David makes sure he's equipped with a weapon. And unlike me, he makes sure he can use it well. You know, when David first escapes from Saul, before he heads to the wilderness, he makes a, a stop. He goes to the temple. And he asks the priest of the temple, have you got a weapon? I need a weapon. And in 1 Samuel 21, we read what happens. The priest replies, I've got one weapon in the temple. It's a sword and it's on display because it's a treasured souvenir of the Jews. This sword was consecrated to be in the temple. It's the sword that belonged to Goliath. 1 Samuel 17 tells us that after David strikes Goliath down with his slingshot, that he runs over to the body and he pulled out Goliath's sword and cuts off his head. Cool part of the Bible, right? And this sword that cut off the head of Goliath is taken by Israel as a souvenir and has ended up in this temple in the town of Nob. I love saying that. (laughs) The town of Nob. He goes there and that's the very temple that David has run to when he's trying to run away from Saul. This same sword he now has in his possession, isn't it ironic? In the hands of Goliath, this sword was going to be used to destroy and maim the people of God. In the hands of David, this sword would be used to defend and restore the kingdom of God. The same way, dear lady, the thing that the enemy was going to use to destroy you, that addiction that injustice, that rejection, that lie, that disloyalty, that failure, that pain has been redeemed and consecrated as sacred and now is a weapon in your hand. The truth is a weapon. Proverbs 14, 25. A truthful witness saves lives. If you were once a victim of lives, you be a voracious truth teller. Your voice is a weapon. Proverbs 31.8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Katie's doing that. This kid's saying, I'm hungry. And if you read the report she gives, the parents say one of their biggest problems for getting help is they feel ashamed. And they feel judged as a bad parent. She's being a voice. Being a voice for those who can't speak. If you are once silenced raise your voice. Your joy is a weapon. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't you love that? We tend to treat joy and fun and bubbling around as just something frivolous. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. If you were once depressed, you'd be a firecracker of joy. Your kindness is a weapon. Jesus said, in Luke 14, 13, 14, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. If you are once isolated, you have a big party for the nobodies. Your vulnerability is a weapon. In 2 Samuel six twenty two, I love this story. If you haven't read the whole thing, do. I'll just give you a verse out of it. David said, I am willing to look even more foolish than this for God. If you were once a people pleaser, be a fool for Christ. Your boldness is a weapon. 2 Timothy 1.7, you want to be one of those women where people go, could you just calm it down a bit? Yeah. Oh, Mary, I love you even more in that moment. No, you're not in trouble. You go, girl, you're it. This is it. Be a Mary, be bold. Don't tone it down. Go hard, go fun, go loud, go joyful. I mean, don't be a pain. Don't be loud criticising. You know what I'm saying, right? But you'd be loud in loving people. Two Timothy one seven. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but power and love and discipline. If you are once insecure, you be a bold, unrestrained lover of Jesus. Okay, you ready for the next one? Yep. Oh, I got two for one. I got Colleen and Distance. Yes. Your arrow is your ability to stay the course. Stay the course. The brave will continue to fight even when they are tired, discouraged, overwhelmed, criticised and seemingly fighting a hopeless cause. And we see this towards Psalm 18 at the end. Look towards the end. In verse 37, David said, I chased my enemies and I caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I did not stop, didn't stop until they were conquered, until he had victory, until they'd been crushed, until they'd been trampled on, until they were not breathing in any way. That's when he, how he kept going. David is brave and the brave never give up. They never lose sight of their goal. They persist until they reach the goal. Proverbs 24, 16. The godly may trip seven times. Now, remember, seven is the number of completeness, the end. In other words, it's saying doesn't matter how many times you fall, seven times 70, they will get up again. Look, there's lots of stories about people who persisted until they succeeded. Thomas Edison took a thousand attempts to get the light bulb to work. Walt Disney was fired from his job at a newspaper because he had lack of imagination. Twelve publishers rejected a book called "Harry Potter. But you know, David's fight isn't about success. It was about life and death. It was about light and dark, good and evil. We are brave for God, not for success or accolade or glory. We persist because if we don't, people are going to die never knowing Jesus, never knowing love, never knowing freedom. You could say, Alyssa, I know this is true, but I'm tired, I'm burnt, I've lost passion. I can't remember why I'm doing this anymore. There doesn't seem to be any movement forward. In fact, I'm losing ground. But remember this, persistency is about constancy of purpose not constancy of activity. If you're tired and done, maybe it's time to finish something. Maybe it's time to go to the wilderness and have a rest. The brave aren't afraid to let go of something, to let it finish. Maybe it's time for that program to end. Maybe it's time for that strategy you've been using successfully for 10 years to stop. Maybe it's time to finish a ministry, a job. Maybe it's time to end a relationship. Don't confuse endings with failures. Wise people understand life comes in seasons. Seasons may change, but the purposes of God do not. How we love and the people we love may change, but the goal to love never changes. The arenas in which we fight injustice must change, might change, but the fight for justice never changes. Where we preach the gospel and how we do that might change, but the mission to save the lost never changes. I feel that's a word for someone who's been struggling to give up on something, to finish something that is a good thing and has been a godly thing. But if you're that tired and wrung out, that could be your body and your spirit saying, time to end it. New season. You can end an activity... But don't ever, ever stop loving. Don't give up on God. Often, not giving up is not a choice, it's simply the only choice. The alternative is unacceptable. Brave people make the resolution that evil will not have the last word. You got it? So remember, we're not nice, we're brave and we're bold for God. All right, the final arrow and you'll quiver. Brave people follow their heart. They follow their passion. They follow what they love. Brave people are driven by a fire in their soul. They're driven by an unshakable conviction. They're driven by a love for a cause and for this cause they will live and die. Martin Luther King had a passion for equality Coco Chanel had a passion for fashion. Stephen Hawking had a passion for physics. Steve Jobs had a passion for technology, but David, he had the best. He had a passion for God. And we see this in how David ends Psalm 18. From verse 46, he says, The Lord lives, praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. Verse 50, you give great victories to the king. You show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and all his descendants forever. David's passion is not for power, and yet he became a king. David's passion was not for riches, though he was rich. David's passion wasn't for fame, though he was famous. What he got was the most valuable thing of all. His passion is for God. 1 Samuel 13, 14 tells us God had chosen David because he was a man after his own heart. What's in your heart? What have you cultivated? Do you know how you know what's in your heart? It'll show up most when you're stressed. It'll show up most when you're scared. That's when your heart's exposed. C.S. Lewis said, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at testing point. I'll tell you a story. It's a good story. And it revealed what was in my heart, my husband's heart, my daughter's heart and one of my son's heart. It happened one afternoon, a, a weekend a few years ago, where um, I was home for the weekend and it was a rare Saturday afternoon where I was doing nothing, it was great. So, I got a cup of tea and sat on our veranda. Now, we live on a farm, so it's quite isolated. So, I'm just looking at the bush, having a cup of tea reading, it was lovely. My husband was doing husbandly things. My daughter was doing scary things. My older son was doing some things. My other son, fortunately, was away. Anyway, I'm having the cup of tea and this car comes flying down our road. It's a 100k road, but they were going fast. And then it turned into our driveway and flew up the driveway and it looked like it was about to hit our house. So I'm standing up going, what's going on? The brake slams on just before it hits the house and there's a woman driving and a man next to her. The woman jumps out of the car and says to me, help me, he's going to kill me. So I grab her, shove her in the house, scream at the family, lock the doors, lock the doors. And then I did what every wise, intelligent woman does. I put her under a bed. Because <laughs> we know we're safe there, right? I put her under the bed. And I got under the bed with her and I said, honey, what's going on? She told me, he's been high for three days. This morning he drove, made me drive him to the ATM and took all my money. Then he made me drive out here where it's isolated. And when we got to your house, he said, this is a good place to bury you and pulled out a knife. She said, I drove up. And I said, man, we're going to get your help. And I said, you know what? I'm a Christian. Is it okay if I pray for you? She went, that'd be lovely. So I'm going, the Lord is my shepherd. No, I didn't. And in the name of Jesus, I pray for the angels come down from heaven and guard this woman, put a hedge around here that no injustice would come over this woman, that evil will be slain in the name of Jesus. She went, Good. And then I decided I would ring the police. So, then I told my son, who was about 19 at the time, something every mother wants to tell her son, can you get in the bed with that woman? (laughs) So, he gets under the bed with her while I go ring the police. Fortunately, my son in that time had hidden my daughter under another bed, It runs in the family. (laughs) Now, we hid my daughter, who was probably 12 at the time, not for her safety, but for the man's, trust me. She would have been up for it. So we hid her, I'm on the phone to the police telling them what's happening. My son, who just has a beautiful heart for God, is under the bed and he starts talking to her and discovers that she's got a son, a teenage son that she left behind with her father to be with this man. And he said, what's the boy's name? And he said, she said, Timothy. He said, can I tell you about another Timothy? He's in the Bible and he was a young man and a good man. He told her the story of Timothy And said, you know what, I think Timothy needs you. And she said, I think you're right. So, all this time wondering where my husband is, right? Because I can hear outside this man yelling death threats. My husband goes out to him. (laughs) And I hear him. And this man starts coming up the steps of the veranda with his knife. And then my husband, who's like Mr Bean, if you can imagine, puts on his best country accent and goes, mate, mate. Mate, no, nah, you are not going in my house. My wife and children are there, get down. The man backed down. He's still talking, and then my husband said something for which I am still in therapy about. He said to the man, mate, you know what women are like when they're emotional? You can't talk to them. <laughs> I know, right? Trust me, he didn't mean it, but I'm still working through it, okay? Because a part of me wonders if he still thinks that's true. But he says to the bloke, you know what, you can't talk to him like that. So, this is going on by then. I'm ringing the neighbour because I want the neighbour to come over. Now, our neighbour is the best. He has a goatee, a lot of tats and best of all, a gun. <laughs> and he knows how to use it. We love him. So, he comes across and joins my husband. He's real country. Mate... You know what women are like. You can't talk to them when they're emotional. (laughs) So, I'm waiting for the police who are taking forever to come, still under the bed with the woman with my son. And then my husband says, you know what we'll do? Let's go to the pub and wait for her to calm down. They all get in the car. (laughs) And go down the road to the local tavern as the cop car comes past. I can't... I don't know where the knife was. I I was waiting for my neighbour to say, that's not a knife. But anyway... (laughs) The police arrive and the woman tells the story and we're telling the story and I love my daughter finally comes out from the bed and goes up to the local cop. Is that a gun? That would be a positive. Can I have your gun? That would be a negative. Is that a taser? Positive. Can I have your taser? Negative. I'd like to be a cop. Do you care about people? Nah. You'd be perfect. So that was their conversation. (laughs) I was pleased. Anyway, we told the story and we encouraged her and my eldest son comes out with all his pocket money and says, will you take this money and go? She's so sweet. She says, darling, I don't need your money. I'm going to go to Brisbane. Anyway, we tell the company goes, they never leave. We know this guy. He just goes to another woman. She won't leave. I went to the police station Monday morning. Do you know what? She left. She left him. It was great. But what that moment showed was what was in our heart. I have such a passion for women to live in freedom, that there was no way that woman was getting hurt on my watch. My husband believes it is his godly duty to protect his family, even at the risk of his own life. He would do it. My son believes greatly in the next generation, and so that's what he talked about. And my daughter has a passion for being scary, and she was. It was all revealed. Whatever's in your heart ...will come out. We see this in Psalm 18. The bravery begins and ends with what's in your heart. Verse 1 begins with the words, I love you, Lord. The final verse declares God's unfailing love back to him. This psalm begins and ends with love. Bravery begins and ends with love. Love for God, love for others and love for yourself. And sometimes we get that right and sometimes we don't. Bravery is not what you are. It's something that grows and something you cultivate. You can't say, I am brave or I am fearful, any more than you can say, I am kind or I am mean. These are character traits. They develop. They grow stronger. But we're not always 100% kind or 100% mean, are we? In the same way, we're sometimes brave and sometimes we're not. I was brave that day, but there was another day when I was in New York, and I happened to be there when they had St. Patrick's Day. Now, I don't know whether you realise, but this is huge in New York. It's big, and they have a massive parade in the middle of Manhattan. And particularly post 9-11, they have all the firefighters and the police. It's a way to thank them. It's a big day. And everyone gets very, very drunk, is the other thing I discovered. Now, I was on my way to a meeting, and I had to walk through the middle of this parade. It was full on. As I'm walking down there there's this guy who was verbally abusing what I assumed was his girlfriend right in her face cursing her and abusing her so I stopped and thinking this is scary I look around for a police officer but they're all in the march I couldn't see anyone to help and so did I stop and say calm down no I was too scared I thought this guy might hurt me I didn't know what to do so I watched for a little while to make sure he didn't hit her and then I left that day I failed I wasn't brave if it happened again would I do it differently I really hope so but do I punch myself up for that no I accept that's part of an experience for me and did it hurt yes am I ashamed yes Will I let that take me down no I'm going to grow from that I have a desire and I hope you do to be like Jesus So I'm going to keep pursuing his heart. Because I love him, I want to be like him. Because I love him, I want to love other people. I want to be brave for them. Because I love him, I want to be brave for me because I believe what he says about me, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Because I love him, I want what he wants and that will require me to be brave. And it will require you to be brave. What do you want? What do you want? Anyone want to be brave, become brave? I do. Let's read Psalm 18. Let's get into it. Let's eat it and feast on it. Equip yourself with those arrows. Read them, work on them, learn them. Because beautiful lady, God has a plan for you. It's not easy. You're going to have to choose the crossover comfort. You're going to have to choose to be anonymous instead of admired? You're going to have to choose purpose over having power. You're going to have to choose eternity over your ego. What do you want? Because you're going to have to be brave. Anyone still want it? Dear Lord Jesus, we want you. We acknowledge you are King of kings and Lord of lords that you are the most powerful being in the universe. Lord, we acknowledge you are sovereign and all-wise and all-knowing and all-powerful. We acknowledge that you are love and that is the most powerful, greatest force ever to exist. We acknowledge, Father, that there is nothing greater or more holy or better than you and your love. Lord, we trust in that love and that goodness and therefore we choose you. Lord, we acknowledge that we will have to be brave to do that. Lord, empower us, not with the spirit of timidity, but one of boldness and love and self-control. We thank you, Jesus, for humbly hearing our requests. Amen.